Hi there and welcome. I'm Rachel Nemeth and this is The Frontline, a series of conversations with founders, CEOs, and operators building great businesses that employ a large frontline workforce, employees who don't sit at a desk. I'm the CEO of Opus, where we believe we need to build more bold and accessible technology for frontline teams. This series is about the people who keep our businesses humming and the operators who are taking innovative steps with their frontline. You can find more episodes at thefrontline.so. Josh Allen is the Director of Training and Development at Paris Baguette America. Before Paris Baguette, he led training and development at Luke's Lobster and Patina Restaurant Group. Josh is data-driven, a human resources professional with a background in operations, organizational development, and learning design. His specialty is in culturally adaptive learning systems. In this episode of The Frontline, I sat down with Josh to chat about his big ideas for frontline training in 2022 and what he's doing at Paris Baguette to embolden their culture of learning. Um, I always love to start our podcast off by asking the question that um, instead of just telling me about your title, um, tell us how your friends would describe what you do for a living. Mm, how my friends would describe what I do for a living. Uh, well... It sort of depends on the setting. Um, if it's, uh, you know, it, it, if I'm in a bar, it's I, I work at a bakery. <laughs> <laughs> or I, yeah. Uh, if it's, um, if I'm feeling like businessy, I'll, they'll, they'll say, like, uh, uh, he works in HR, you know, or like, he works in L&D. And people are like, well, what's L&D? <laughs> strategic HR. <laughs> strategic HR. You know, it's like people and you shuffle them around. Uh, but the long answer, I think, I don't know if any of my friends would describe it like this. They would probably just say he works in L and D, and then do the shrug emoji. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I like to say that it's like uh, I run a school inside of an organization uh, that targets um, skills and behaviors that the organization finds strategically nice. Mm. Uh, and that school has people who work in it that are uh, teachers and coaches and um, editors and filmmakers and writers and clowns and public speakers, and we call them trainers. And uh, yeah, I, that's why I, I love that though, and I love the idea of reframing learning and development as. Um, an educational institution yes. that you're running. Yeah. And it, I would imagine it gets you a lot of buy-in. Yes. It's like if you walk into a room with, as a, um, the professor of this, you know, or the like... The uh, dean. The dean of uh, the organization. It's almost like you become chief learning officer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, there's a... Yeah, there's a gravitas with being a university professor. Well, and based on all the conversations that you and I have had, specifically over the last year, um, you and I have had some really interesting conversations about, uh, specifically around like innovations that need to happen in this space, which is of course what we're talking about today. Um, and the thing that I love talking to you about is um, how we can make things right. But we have to start with what's going wrong. <laughs> um, so. You know, we use this term deskless at, at Opus, but, um, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, we can say frontline. Um, so what aspect of the frontline 
of frontline work in general do you want to debunk? Yeah, it's probably not like the most um, surprising idea, but that um, deskless work is somehow easier Mm. um, or has less oversight um, because you're not literally sitting in one place where somebody can walk over and be like, what are you doing? What are you working on? Um, uh, or that it's, it's for, or it's like a waiting room for young people until they can get to a desk. Like deskless work, whether it's like a, a, a frontline hospitality worker or food service worker, or it's like a field trainer who has worked their way up into a training position, uh, being deskless is like worthy unto itself. Mm. You know, it's like that is a career. That's a that's an as, aspiration to be an excellent server or food runner or trainer or auditor or like whatever your deskless job is is like that is a worthy career ambition. Yeah. It's not easier. In fact, it's usually much harder because there's everyone standing around you is watching you do your job all the time. Um, you know, I think I think that there's the the misconception that it's easy, and it really resonates with me as we sit here on Seventh Ave and Forty First mm-hmm. Street in New York. I'm hearing honking cars and taxi cabs, and we are uh, you know two floors above the cafe, and so I know that in your job there's a real appreciation for this kind of work uh, and, a, and a deep understanding of it too really hearing from you and, and you have a lot of experience in this space I'd love for you to talk about in your current role but also just in, in roles before um, what the biggest challenge you see when it comes to food industry and the front and frontline work right now yeah I, I mean this one is like uh, kind of uh, painfully present right now mm-hmm. it's um, there's a labor shortage yeah. that is like pretty destructive at this point um and you know it's it's also like not surprising at all we've certainly talked about this like if you underpay and overwork a uh tier of your uh, employee population for of decades um at some point they a natural escape route forms yeah and what we're seeing is like a hemorrhage through that um uh, it's a combination of like money being a big part of it. You can't underpay an employee that is critical to your store opening today. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, take line cooks, for example. Like You do not have a restaurant if you have no line cooks who show up. And we have uh, underpaid and overworked that position forever. Yeah. And it's we need to shift our thinking into honoring and respecting the roles that are critical to the function of our business. You know, it's like uh, we have uh, directors who are uh, paid, you know, these big, big salaries to not sell our product to people, Mm. but to have oversight over the people who have oversight over the people who are selling the product to the people. And that's, uh, that's upside down respect. You know what I mean? You've spent a, a large portion of your career in the learning and development space, and I've heard a lot of professionals talk about pay, and, and of course, it's like such a critical piece of this. I've heard a lot talk about flexible schedules. I'm curious to hear from your perspective um, what 
role L&D can play in fighting this this war for talent? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it what L&D can do is create visible pathways to wherever you want to go. Mm. And I would hesitate to say upwards into management or, you know, outwards into <laughs> some other career because, like, uh, what L&D can do is we can look at this individual who is in this position who maybe hasn't had opportunities to uh, even learn about what they... even explore what do I want to do? Mm. You know, what is that question? What an L&D professional can do is, like, sit down in front of them and say, like, what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, here's a way to get there. And, like, let me provide it to Very you. Very rarely have a lot of folks been asked that before. Oh, yeah. 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 And, it's, it, you know, I think, I think that's exactly right. A lot of people haven't asked that before. Sometimes it's because we don't speak the same language. Sometimes it's because um, I d- you're somehow invisible inside of this business. And, like, what L&D needs to do, like, what we have to do is go to the farthest the employees that are farthest from perceived power and uh, like elbow room some paths mm. to wherever. And you keep saying this word wherever. I'd love to hear more about that. I feel like there's, you know, the theory that if you train people, it's just more likely that they're going to leave, mm. right? So, mm-hmm. um, so what does that mean, the wherever path? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I, started, I started getting... Um, I started being stuck on this idea of a wherever path when I, very late in the game, opened my brain to um, the concept of equity mm-hmm. and creating equity. And I know it's like a very buzzy word, but like the reality is equity for me, as, as I understand it, is looking at an individual, uh, taking into fact the context of their experience and accepting that I don't know what they want and need. Mm. I, I, you know, I've been taught that what I do is I meet with people and I say, here's a path to the next role in operations, or the next role in HR, or the next role in sanitation, or whatever it is. You can become a supervisor, and then you can become a manager, and then you could become a director. Like, how cool. And maybe that person is like, I would never want to be a director. What I want to be is somebody who has um, enough experience and skills within this job function to do it part-time and get paid well for it. Right. So I can go and do my watercolors or whatever it is that they envision as a good life. Right. And like that's our, that should be our goal, is to get you to a good life that you like and not to one that I have prescribed to you. I love it. It's like selling value over features. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least in the software world. Yeah, exactly. So then, zooming in on where you're at at Paris Baguette right now, what is the company doing differently than other groups when it comes to employee engagement and training? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, and I am new to the organization mm-hmm. and really just starting to deep dive in. But I would say one thing that has really sort of struck me is that they, we talk about it. We talk about what we're not doing and what we could be doing. And like, I have never worked for um, 
someone who throws as much like spaghetti at the wall <laughs> and ideas out there as I, I do right that. now. Yeah. And spitballing is like a big part of meeting with leaders here. Um, you know, we have uh, food and beverage leaders who are like so open to however we can make the learning happen, however we can make it more accessible. How, like, it, it, is, it is a company that was founded and grown on absolute risk-taking and, um, and experimentation and uh, innovation. Innovation is like clearly a core part of how this company came to be. Mm. Um, so it's, it's ingrained, and that is new. In terms of like products, uh, TBD. Yeah. We are, we're we're inventing them right now. You mm -hmm. know, I get to sit down with like ten really 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 smart people and uh, say, "What if we did this through <laughs> virtual reality? What if we had augmented reality cake decorating classes?" And they're like, "Let's look at the curriculum." <laughs> <laughs> cool. Send me those details. Um, so so you know, like I. But I think that really, uh, I I feel like um, sky's the limit. And what's so, I, you know, you, you started off that answer by saying, well, you know, I'm new. And that's why I'm really curious about this next question, because the fresh set of eyes can make all the difference in how we think about the world. And even how you think about what perceptions you had before and what you have now mm -hmm. seem like an entirely new structure. Um, so you've worked in ed in education for a long time. I know you've had interactions with lots of different technologies. I also know you and I have had very long conversations about what should and should not exist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so this is kind of your message to me, but also to the entire ed tech industry. What aren't we getting right? Yeah, I, I think uh, what a lot of ed tech does is it targets Go to, go to like a platform's website and the thing that it talks about is like the ease of administration yeah. and like the ease of pulling reports and assigning courses and like look how easy it is for you and uh, who cares like I, I can sit at a desk and like muddy my way through a Franken file all day what I can't do is make like accessibility to my base user uh, the priority and like, uh, not just the user who is, um, you know, an hourly employee who I need to take these courses, who I need to want to log back into your platform. Like I need them to want to do that uh, the way they want to go into Snapchat. I want them to want to go into the platform. I desperately want them to. <laughs> um, but also I want their manager to want to go into the platform and use it to affect their team. Uh, right now it's like, okay, so this manager needs this thing to happen. Maybe they have time to pass that feedback up. Maybe they know who to send it to. Maybe not. Mm. Maybe they're like, I'm going to tell it to my district manager who's going to write it down on a note card somewhere and look at that before I come back and do my next visit with you. You know, it's like getting, um, getting uh, their Getting buy-in at that level is, uh, right now, it's very temp template. You know, yeah. It's like they know that they're supposed to be doing this thing, that their team is all supposed to be checking it off, so they get a report saying that only 80% of them have, so I'm going to hound them until they do it. You know, it's like that is not, that's not a world that I want to work in. You know, I want to work in a world where we all, we all have this tool. 
It's not I have this tool. Right. And and I I it's a lot of what we think about at Opus, which is um, of course we're building for the buyer, right? The admin, but that's one very small piece of the larger story here. And it's always been interesting to me that um, we haven't done a better job in ed tech of really thinking about the end user. Yeah. Um, or the think- one more before end user. Mm-hmm. Like, really, I do think that is a target. The, like, GM. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of role. Yeah. You're listening to The Frontline, a podcast by Opus. 80% of U.S. workers are frontline, people who don't sit at a desk. Yet 99% of technology is built for the people who do. Opus helps employers deliver fast, interactive training to their workforce over text message. But it doesn't stop there. At Opus, we're on a mission to build the world's most accessible platform for frontline teams. You can learn more at opus.so. We're, we're about to, to wrap up, and, and we're going to get personal here in a minute about your own growth. But um, before we, we move on, um, I know that you have some opinions about um, the kind of like ideal modern day learning management system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you talked a lot about technology. You've talked a lot about that front line and, and, and how you're thinking about what we can do to, to give them access. But I would really love to hear from you the kind of nitty gritty use case that, um, or, or just the usability that you're looking for in a system. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think like I think like all of this, uh, uh, everything that we're talking about from the last question to the one before that to this question, all really tie into each other. Mm-hmm. I think that if the usability of a platform was fun and cool, and I wanted to screenshot it and put it on my Instagram, and I competed with my friend that I work with every day on who can do things faster in there and enjoy it more and my boss enjoyed it and it wasn't like a slog. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't ha- I wouldn't be so desperate to pay everyone to train. Why do you think it's been so hard for EdTech to get to this place? Does it go because back to what you were saying? Signing for yeah. The person who needs to have fun in the platform, they're designing for someone who really wants this to be, um, who wants their day-to-day job to be easier as an admin. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, um, that is imagining two people who don't exist, an admin who doesn't, uh, an L&D person who doesn't care about their UN, ex- you know, their end user, and an end user who is, um, okay with a really bland experience. Like, neither of those people, I think, are common. Yeah. I think you're in L&D because you like the people who you're training, and you're accessing the platform because it's cool. Hmm. You know? Yeah. It's gotta be cooler. <laughs> well, and we're also, like, to your point, I think a lot of traditional systems, they have been building for the minority, which is important because they're kind of like overseeing these larger programs. The dean needs to have a good system of record. Um, But do you think that we're seeing a shift right now? Or do we still Uh, have a ways to go? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I mean like, 
we've talked about this. Like, if if the if the second thing you're you're not telling me about is P.S. You can flip between Spanish and English, then like you're not designing for the end user. Mm. At least not in my field yes. or any field I've ever worked in. Right. You know what I mean? Um, if what you're telling me is that I need to build that for them and have two versions of my programming and like I'm gonna do that because that's who I'm here for, but then we're probably not partners, you know? Then we're probably not gonna be partners. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that answered your question. I got distracted by it does, but it, <laughs> wanting but that. <laughs> well, and I know like the multilingual aspect has always been really important to you. Mm-hmm. The, the first time I met you, I remember you said like, if you can't do Kamai, <laughs> get, <laughs> get, get at it. Get at it. Then this meeting's out. That's what I needed, you know? It's, yeah. That's the needs case was I needed to communicate with people like Which couldn't. is so beautiful. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I've, really enjoyed our conversations because you're always thinking about the quote-unquote non-negotiables that might only impact a small amount of people but at the end of the day um, help the message for the that helps these businesses position themselves as employers of choice Mm. and also like you're going to get more buy-in from your your L&D team Mm -hmm. who's like you know copying and pasting (laughs) from Google Translate yeah and like well my L&D team is by Okay, Every, and that makes, that's a huge leg up. Too. I'm the only one who isn't, yeah. which is a, a very weak position to be in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm okay totally with being in. Like, I, I'd rather be in that position than, like, one where I'm the best translator we got. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's going to sound team. bad. <laughs> uh, you know, success at this company and the last company I worked at and, like, every company moving forward is... The success picture is bilingual, yeah. and it is, so is the product, and so is the platform, and so is the, you know, it's like, so is all the programming. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I, like, continue to to love these conversations and to, to hear everything you have to say about the world of work. I want to know where all of this comes from. Like, who and what do you credit your own professional growth too, and how does that impact how you see the world of work? So this is like a, you know, I, I, who and what, what do I credit is like being able to go into a bathroom and Google something and walk back out and be a subject matter expert enough to move forward. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's what I credit is, um, that I have pursued my career in a world where where information is like literally on my little supercomputer that's in my back pocket right now that's buzzing at me. You know what I mean? It's like, because anytime somebody's asked me a question, I could say, oh, oh just one moment, and literally <laughs> go in the bathroom and Google what a French cuff is and go back out and say, yeah, of course I know what that is and here's where it came from and here's why it's important. <laughs> You know, or like whatever that is. Like that's how my career has moved forward. And like that's also why accessibility is the name of the game. Like I had accessibility. I had I I knew how and I knew where and I knew what what site to go to fast enough to just be the person who walked out of the bathroom with the answers first. 
you know, and like now I'm in a place in my career where I don't, uh, where I don't, I don't have to do that as okay. often. Like you know what I mean. Yeah. But that means that means like I, I need that for everyone. Mm. I need that for everyone around me. You know what I mean. And like I still do that. Yeah. Like, it still happens. <laughs> well, and I it's I love that you're saying this because you're basically like giving credit to the generation in which we live and to the information age, which is yeah. like I feel like we re- the, the generation itself never gets credit for being. <laughs> Yeah, I would just be you're a like guy without that information, you know? <laughs> but you're, you're like a part of this generation that's that's creating this kind of world that we live in. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm not proud of it. I'm proud that I got here from Googling stuff yeah. in the bathroom on, and trying not to cry. Yeah. Well, and I think, and I, I was like that too. I remember like being thrown into a management position at... 22 and not knowing what the hell I was doing. Exactly. Yeah. What was I doing as a service director at 24? Right. In the first restaurant I ever worked in. You know, it's like what I was doing was Googling things in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, So I love to to end this. Josh, it's been wonderful Mm -hmm. uh, as always. I feel like we could talk for hours. We do talk for hours. This is, this has actually been pretty challenging (laughs) to do this so tight. Um, but we have our rapid fire, which is five questions. Um, Two of which are inanswerable, but we will try. <laughs> um, which you can say, you know, no comment if you'd like. Um, try to answer them as quickly as you can. Okay. Um, favorite book? This is one of the inanswerable ones because it changes with, like, who, what, what's it in my life right now? Mm. And, like, whatever. But right now I'm reading Lord of the Flies. Don't buy into it. It's my favorite book right now. Okay. I'm, di- I'm digging it. it. Like it's doing it for me right now. I'm in. Um, guilty pleasure song. Very cruel one, but like um, right now, I sing in my shower a lot. A very sad song from Waitress. The music. <laughs> All right. Uh, That's mortifying, but yes. It's not. This is why we call it guilty pleasure. Catharsis. It's doing it for me. Okay. <laughs> Lord of the Flies and then Waitress and uh, I got feelings. <laughs> Uh, favorite breakfast spot? Um, uh, Skyline Deli on 10th and 49th because I can walk in there and be like, I need it. And they'll <laughs> give me a uh, bacon, egg, and cheese with jalapenos and a lettuce because I like that on there. It freshens it up a little bit. <laughs> and a iced coffee with my half and half, no sugar, and I, that's, that's all I gotta do. That's killer. I have to try the, the lettuce bit. Gotta try it. All right. Um, a woman you admire. This is such a lame answer and like such a cop out, but it, it's it's become more and more posthumously uh, my abuela, who's mm-hmm. my grandma. I called her abuela. Yeah. Uh, she came from Cuba. She have, uh, she spoke English, but not well. So I we never really quite got to know each other really well except for that we were like wildly in love with each other you know what i mean uh my whole life uh she forced my dad to let me go to art school mm-hmm. she was like no it's going to art that's the answer i answered it for you and she paid for it you know like he paid for my way there and like that's that's what happened mm-hmm. and um now recently i learned that uh she wouldn't let um, people work on their ranch in Cuba who couldn't read and write if they didn't come to her every day to learn to read and write. What? Oh, I was like, touched. you 
that's it. That's that's where it comes from. Yeah, for sure. That's where all the energy comes from. Yeah. You know? Um, favorite class you ever took? Also impossible. Impossible question. Any class I'm in right now is my favorite class. Mm. Like, I'm a, addicted to school. I love that answer. I like homework and, like, I like... You're a little biased, too, because you're, you're, like, in LMD. Yeah, but, like, I also, like... I, I'm a bad learner. Like, my brain learns things slowly and in repetition. And, like, I need really patient instructors or really patient platforms. You know what I mean? I can't be rushed. Mm -hmm. um, so, favorite class, I don't know, Mr. DeRocher teaching me English senior year of high school because he took it slow. <laughs> you know? And saw what I wanted to learn about, and that was easier for me. So, I don't know, it's, it's really, it's any class, it's any class that I'm in, because I'm learning something from it, but it's also Mr. DeRocher's English class. Yeah, I love that. And a nice way to end it. Here's to all of the teachers who have taken it slow and, yeah. and like really been adjusted to the needs of each of their students. Here's to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Josh. Absolute pleasure. I love it. My pleasure. I'm Rachel Nemeth. Thanks for listening to The Frontline, a podcast by Opus. Learn more about us at opus.so. See you next time.